Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 231 of the Ready Yeti Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Delabono, and today we have on Heather McDougall, co-founder of Bogo Brush. Bogo Brush makes eco-friendly toothbrushes designed to help cut down on everyday single-use plastic consumption. Heather had a pretty interesting layup to actually starting Bogo Brush, and this is technically a family business, with her brother John being a co-founder. Her story kind of perfectly lines up right at the doorstep of Bogo Brush, but you'll hear all about that in a second. It's actually really interesting what they built with Bogo Brush, because obviously on the surface level... Eco-friendly toothbrushes are, you know, a very important thing. Everybody brushes their teeth, right? And to cut down on single-use plastic, and to cut down on single-use plastic, that's a phenomenal thing. But they go beyond that, and they actually do a lot more to give back. And again, Heather will get into that. I don't want to really spoil the episode for you because it does really intertwine nicely with the background. On the technical side of things, we talk about the logistics of making a product that you pretty much always need to keep up with hygiene, at least we hope, and a lot of the innovations that the McDougals made to make their products way more eco-friendly. This was actually a pretty cathartic episode to record. For one, I just personally like talking about sustainability. It is a personal passion of mine and something that I am really interested in, so there's that. But we also get a chance to talk a lot about burnout and mental health keeping healthy relationships, and what that means in regards to building and running a business. I had a ton of fun getting a chance to chat with Heather and really, really was drawn in by her story. I know you guys are going to love it. So without further ado, let's just roll right into it. Heather, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So to start us off, who are you? Who is Heather McDougall? Heather McDougall is a prairie girl at heart. I was born in North Dakota in a small town, big town for North Dakota, but small town for the rest of the world. Um, And I am passionate about sustainability and helping people connect to the planet and to each other. So I have a background. I went to law school and uh, my brother, who is an industrial designer, He and I realized we have a shared passion for sustainability and we teamed up and now we're making really beautiful, sustainable toothbrushes. Awesome. That's with Bogo Brush, correct? Bogo Brush. You got it. So what is Bogo Brush? Is it just toothbrushes? What's the, I guess, the the overall appeal of Bogo Brush? Yeah. Bogo Brush is, we call it planet loving oral that cares. Uh, So it's really beautifully designed toothbrushes. So check them out. They're like minimally formed um, and they're made with responsible materials. So we have two different collections. One is a recycled, recyclable collection. And then the other one is made from plants. And 10% of our profits go to sustainability causes all over the world, which we can get into. Um, But anything from planting grass to supporting you know, food sovereignty to supporting, you know, dental students um, in in their pursuits. So really, Bogo Brush exists because we want to help bring environmental and social awareness into people's daily routines, right? Because the more that we, in our just subtle moments that we're not even thinking about it, it starts to become the fibers of who we are. I feel like that's a, a like another perfect thing with this is that a lot of the 
you know, there's a lot of companies out there who are making sustainable products or trying to like tighten up their operation, make, you know, I guess, even especially with plastics, make it more available to live a more sustainable life. A toothbrush is something that pretty much everyone is always going to use. So it's probably a really great place to start. Yeah. I mean, it's like people ask us, oh, how'd you come up with the toothbrush? And John, my brother and I, uh, we joke like, oh, it probably came because we grew up as children of a dentist. Uh, but we had like no plans, either of us of doing anything with oral care. Um, like I said, I was in law school my brother was a designer, but it's like, when we thought about what can we do together to like bring sustainability into the economy, like producing something that would be economically traded was important to us so that we can help influence value, right? It's the way that we value things is such a huge factor of this, but we thought about all kinds of products and a toothbrush, you know, maybe a spate would have it just kept coming to mind, but it is, it's something you use every morning and every night and manual toothbrushes well, and electric toothbrushes are really bad for the environment. Most of them, right? They use so many materials, you can't recycle them. And so we wanted to do something to change that. And we were on a, we were on a long journey figuring out what materials would work best. We even started with bamboo. We decided that didn't make the kind of toothbrush we wanted to create. But now we're in the space like innovating in plastics, which really I think is a very important space to be because, you know, it's a little bit like contrary to hmm, market popularity or, you know, like the buzz. But like plastic has done a lot of really wonderful things, even for sustainability, not single use plastics, of course, but in other spaces. And so even if we can be part of that whole system of innovating ways to make plastics out of things other than, you know, virgin petrochemicals, it, that's, that's, that's part of the, that's, that's part of the overall effort into how can we take what we like from plastic and leave the things that, that we don't. That last bit that you mentioned about like kind of working with what you got in terms of plastics really speaks to me particularly. I, my background is in natural resources and I think something that often gets blurred is it, this, and it's a very similar thing with the oil industry and of course oil is directly related to plastic, but it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of great things that's come of it and you can't really just like stop it. Like we, we kind of do use it and it's, it's something that's very useful. So really working with it and like pushing it through to make it way more sustainable. I feel like that's, you know, that's more realistic, like it's doable. Yeah, I, that's how I feel. I mean, like I said, again, I don't, toothbrushes, I mean, there's, I don't re remember the statistic on like exactly how many toothbrushes wash up on shores, but I mean, in the U.S. alone, there's like over 800 million plastic manual toothbrushes that are discarded or ending up in in habitats like obviously that kind of stuff's not good that stuff doesn't doesn't break down so for us right using plant-based materials that will break down like that's for the product itself that's good alignment but then also yeah, how do we how do we use plants to create something similar that like oil that oil creates so that we can like i think about well oil in general like it's a really like uh, hmm, how to say this? I look at everything on the planet as, you know, beautiful and part of Earth. And like, what's the value of it? And I think, you know, I mentioned value in the economy because I think one of the biggest 
problems with how humanity and the planet are living together is in humans false understanding of the value of things. So if you think about oil, like oil is drastically undervalued. Like how long did it take oil to form? How many trees, how many like, you know, dinosaurs, like how much really went into creating oil and how long it took? To me, oil should be more expensive than gold. It, but it's not, right? So how do we look at something and see its really true value and understand, oh, how can we align our resources in a way that is like best fit for how much resource there actually is, but also in terms of you know, where, where really is something like plastic or oil um, best used? And that will likely be very, very sparingly. But the fact is we have, we have the systems uh, that we have now. And so exactly, we have to find a way to kind of merge and crisscross our way out of it without just tearing everything down. And it, it really does start with little things like baby steps. Baby steps work. Big changes always seems to, you know, people will, it's not, it's not sustainable. So I think like, you know, small things like, like another company that we've been, uh, I actually just had on last week, um, C-Sense Flip Flops. Again, flip-flops, it's something that everyone's probably always going to need or use. It's helpful, but it's something that's so, I don't want I guess, yeah, so innocuous that it does end up being thrown out and taken for granted. That's incredible. Yes. I think one of the cool things about like products, like consumer products like this and with Bogo Brush, um, but is to me, the future of sustainability there's like kind of two different there's all kinds of different angles but i kind of see it if we were just very simplified into two chunks <laughs> you have like the individual and then you have like huge institutional and there's lots of stuff going on on the institutional side actually when you look at like where are huge investment dollars going like the big institutional investors are already investing in a lot more sustainable things which is really cool doesn't necessarily trickle down through the media to help us see that so which also kind of keeps us in sustainability but on the individual side and with consumer products i think yeah consumer products doing things more sustainably is needed because we need to evolve the systems forward, the supply chains, the everything, but also, and I almost think more importantly is the mindset that it generates for people is the more that we start to include these values of the environment, taking care of our neighbors. I mean, we see it right. Even in the last decade, there's more and more and more things, just the trajectory of the evolution of humanity. But, by having flip-flops that care and a toothbrush that cares and you know clothing that's more responsible, like slowly our minds are more open to the more systemic conversations that really need to happen, right? That we can, as a collective, step forward into our governments and as a collective start demanding more things. So to me, it's always like, it's less about finding the perfectly sustainable flip-flop or the perfectly sustainable toothbrush like there's no such thing as perfect first of all but again into the mindset it's like what how does this set you up to being open to conversations and not like resistant or anxious to them i'm 100 percent with you it's like the 80 uh 80 20 rule you know um so 
For you, Heather McDougall, what is your background in to set you up to get into Bogo Brush? Is it just, I guess, the, the kind of talking with your brother, agreeing that you guys wanted to do the social action? Was there, is it the the background with your your family's dentistry history? <laughs> What's what was like the the thing that made you say, you know what, we could do this? Well. What's the thing? So my background, I mean, having grown up, I'll kind of go back. Having grown up in North Dakota, um, the culture I grew up in, at least, is very connected to the environment. It's not, it's not like environmentalists, you know, it's not necessarily like kind of the uh, liberal tree hugger idea of what it is to be an environmentalist. But here, most people who are outdoor sportsmen, you know, fishermen, hunters, you know, they are there's a few people who aren't as responsible as they should be, but most people are very responsible. And because of that, they're very in tune with what's happening in the environment and what's happening in the prairie and what, what it means to have a balanced ecosystem. So just kind of growing up in a culture of being aware. And plus it's a very agricultural center place. Um, it's not a very sustainable form of agriculture, but it still is very reliant on just like what's happening in the environment and the weather. So I think just being in tune with nature is just a thing that kind of was born into me. And then moving through college, I mean, so for me, my passion into what is sustainability in terms of sustainability movement really started with, um, let's say like Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, which was in 2006. And I, I think I had just started law school or I was in like right between undergrad and, and law school at that time. And it was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, okay. There's some like serious things happening here. I mean, I learned about global warming in elementary school and all that, but um, then I just started taking more classes, you know, I was in school. So I was studying anything from like, sustainable food policy and energy law and environmental policy um, I went to law school because I wanted to do something with social change. At that time, I was uh, interested in working with like victims' rights of sexual crime. Um, I did an internship with a lobbying group that worked on uh, sexual crime things, and I was like, oh my gosh, the government, first of all, like it was a government organization. It was just too slow for me, <laughs> and I kind of just still care about the topic, but was being drawn in other directions of then just working for nonprofit lobbying the government. And eventually I found my way to working for a venture capital attorney, which was my introduction to you know, startup culture. So I grew up, my dad's a dentist, like I said, and my family has a lot of those, like we'll call them like cowboy <laughs> businesses. And it's like, hang up your, hang up your sign. So you're, you're a business owner, but not necessarily startup culture. Um, and so working with the venture capitalists, that really opened my eyes to all the different kinds of businesses. You know, you can be a business that was one that just like repackaged a few pens and some software and sold it. And they had, you know, like a multi-million dollar deal with Walmart. And I was like, you know, I was helping evaluate these deals. I was like, why this? This isn't doing anything for the world. Like this is literally taking existing stuff. And he's like, yeah, but I could make a bunch of money. <laughs> so what do what do we do? And then I saw things come through that had more impact, but 
Yeah, so it was sort of this understanding through this whole history of, oh, there's such a thing as social entrepreneurship and doing good is good for business. And my brother and I have always been very close. So it was just a constant evolution of talking through these things. Um, we first started a think tank that is actually based on a model for sustainability that I use when I go into communities and do sustainability work. But it was through that, we're like, how could we do a variety of different things more sustainable, sustainably? One of them was a toothbrush. And I guess it was just a, well, why can't we? You know, what made us think that we could do this? Like, I knew how to start a company. I knew how to like network. I like people. My brother's a really amazing designer. We knew how to just do that. So we just got started and uh, just haven't stopped. That's amazing. You can kind of see like how each step of your journey, you like took bits and pieces of it. I mean, even when you were, you had the realization that government is just, the government's so slow at getting things done. You're like, I could do this faster. So I will do this faster. Um, I love that. That's, hang on, I lost my place for a second. It happens. I hate when this happens. Obviously this part will not be in the little interlude. Yeah, basically. I need like some like easy listening music to go into. <laughs> people would probably find this part interesting though. I always remind myself that like people like the human like skips, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I so we've been doing this podcast for like 5 years at this point, but I've only been hosting it for like the last couple months. I've just been producing it. Um so I'm still kind of like learning, like, all right, like, I, I realize that I'm still technically new at this despite being on the uh, part of it. So I, I just want to like make sure that I'm not wasting the listener's time with like my bullshit. And even still, like, I, I, like, I want, I want the, our listeners to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fog it in, but you do raise a great point. And I'm actually starting to seriously rethink about how I look at this. Maybe I will keep this in. I'll probably it's, keep this in. Yeah. It's just so interesting. I'm all like, I have a mentor coach, right? Just always challenging me on those kinds of things. Like, oh yeah. The real thing yeah. behind it. And that's another thing. Like, I, like everything being so polished and like, I guess, you know, cut off. There's this, that disconnect i feel like that people do i mean i appreciate that even with like we do um these first like gear reviews i i try to dissolve like the bullshit of like technical terms and like buzzwords be like this is just a jacket i mean it's not just a jacket it's good for specific things but you know i don't need to talk down to you to have you try to understand this mm-hmm. um but i majorly digress <laughs> um <laughs> Um, I, one thing I did before we got too far away uh, into it, I was really curious about how you figured out the materials to use your toothbrushes and BOGO brush. I, I know you mentioned that it was kind of a, um, you know, a trial and error. You tried bamboo uh, and you mentioned you had like three years of R&D offline, which is, you know, definitely shows that you're like really honing this in, but how did you figure out the, I guess, how to make it uh, sustainable and um, just work? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one of the very first things we did material wise was we used a life cycle analysis software, um, which 
maybe for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically like you just plunk in. It's like it's a whole program that calculates um, to varying degrees depending on which software program you're using, but it just calculates anything from the the you know uh, carbon output, the the fair wages, right? What is it doing to the soil? It's just the whole the whole picture of this, the life cycle of a material. How is it created? How is it shipped? How is it manufactured? Just all of these things. And at that time, so that was 2012 when we like decided, all right, let's figure out how to make a toothbrush. Um, and at that time, bamboo came back as, you know, being a pretty good material. Um, and there were some bamboo toothbrushes on the market, I would say, far less than there are today. I mean, that's now, what, eight years ago or nine years ago almost. So it, it's changed. But yeah, we did a lot of R&D with bamboo. And happy to talk to anyone about this if you're interested. <laughs> um, we learned a lot. But really, we we backed away from it because as we scaled production, so like up into fuller runs, at that time, like a full run for us was like 10,000 units. And um, that meant scaling the way the whole, the whole toothbrush was made. And what we learned is that when you take those handles from a wood and you bring them to the bristler, so we've, we've always bristled in the US, now we're entirely made in the United States. But at that time, we shipped the handles over to the U.S. And the way that the bristles go in, you know, it's like a little needle that pushes the pushes the bristles into the hole, and then a little pin like opens up to hold the bristles down in place inside the hole. Well, with a natural material, two things are happening like that. One, the pressure um, can shatter the head just because it's natural you can't control the consistency of the material very well and then also all it takes is something to be just like one one hundredth of a millimeter off right one little sliver gets broken away from the wood and then the needle misses the head and again it's breaking so we were losing over 50 percent of our manufacturing inventory just to product failures and you know, there's other things like uh, wood is just not a great thing to have around moisture consistently, right? It doesn't dry very quickly. There, if any of you are using, you know, wooden toothbrushes, just take a look. Most likely, there's like black mold growing inside the bristle hole. It, you know, it's just these kinds of things for us were just not the quality that we wanted to be delivering in a toothbrush. Plus. We're shipping all this stuff from overseas. It was very difficult to understand what was happening in the factory. At that time, we were even tinier than you know we are now. So just it it was just kind of a lot of little factors, but losing all of that over 50% failure rate was just a no-go. We're like, there's no way we can get this to where we need it to be. And then in the meantime, so that took up about um, like two years of time. We had a pre-order in there. And that was able to like fund a lot of this research. Um, and we were like, okay, bamboo sucks for what we want to do with it. What can we do next? In the meantime, this little startup formed in North Dakota, our home state, and they were doing really innovative things with plant-based plastics. So taking, um, 
you know, like a corn-based like PLA. So that's like a very standard plant-based plastic resin material. Um, but they're adding, um, you know, different actual like real plant matter into it. And that's what our, that's what our biodegradable toothbrushes are made out of. So we started partnering with them and we're able to get the consistency that we need in the shape of the head. We're able to get actually the flexibility that you really need in a toothbrush. There's all sorts of very technical things you don't really think about with your toothbrush and how much force it really needs to be able to withstand and all kinds of things. So yeah, that's a long, long way around it. But uh, then I guess it's just that. So we look at the beginning of the, the life where is it coming from? We look at how does it use? How is it going to hold up for the customer? And then how can you um, basically dispose of it or send it into a, you know, a circular economy, if you will. And that's why we have two collections because we have some that are recyclable because not everybody has access to composting. Um, and then we have the biodegradable or compostable collection. I like that you guys actually look at the sustainability aspect as a system. I mean, it like it'd be, I guess, easy to just make like wooden. I mean, in your case, you could with logistically speaking, wooden product wouldn't work out. But it's I feel like it's kind of the proof that the sustainability aspect isn't just a gimmick. It's like we're no, we're committed to this. Here's here, 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 and here how this can be optimized. Then you just kind of went at it. And um, we keep on getting into things and I'm realizing, huh, these are way better than the questions I prepared. So I, I don't want to like stop them. <laughs> I'm like, this is, yeah, this is, I, I like this better. Um, you mentioned um, that, uh, what, what do you call it? Electric toothbrush heads are specifically like an issue. Would you ever consider like doing electric toothbrush uh, heads? Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, doing something with the heads is an interesting, you know, thought, you know, basically producing something for other, other, uh, toothbrushes. I mean, the electric toothbrush space is not one that we, we always end up in a conversation about it just because it's what a lot of dentists encourage their patients to use. Although it's, that's really just like a user. It's just a user thing for the most part. There are some cases, right. Where folks really do benefit from an electric toothbrush, but um, a manual toothbrush can work um, just as well, if not better. Sometimes it just is in how you're using it. So for us, it's like to make even just the electrical handle for that to exist, there's so much that goes into producing that. And if it's a battery operated one, well, you know, then you have a battery to deal with. Like the handle of an electric toothbrush is just not sustainable. It's just, you know, it's really just garbage right now, you know, maybe there'll become innovations in the future. So it's like, we get why they exist. And obviously we want people to have healthy mouths. So brush your teeth, <laughs> however you're going to, but for us, like encouraging people to you know, care about their toothbrush is half the battle. I mean, if you're spending $200 on a Sonicare toothbrush, you probably are going to really care about using that, right? You've spent a bunch of money on it. So what are other ways that we can instill value into a product that you will care about, right? Knowing where the materials came from, that it's going to be less harmful to the planet, that with your purchase, you're helping your neighbor, you know, live a more sustainable, more sustainable life. So 
yeah, we've thought about it. I think we have some other ideas for how to engage in like the removable head handle um, handle game, but yeah, it's a little bit of a complicated one. Just not not quite as aligned as we would like it to be. I guess that's more of like a future potential thing than right now. That makes sense though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that Bogo Brush is uh, really involved with different uh, nonprofits and, you know, making sure that you guys are giving back beyond just the upfront value. How do you find the nonprofits or organizations you work with? How do you, I guess, form those partnerships? Is there, um, I, I guess, just kind of your typical sales pitch involved just to get them on board or what's the process like? Hmm. It's uh, so this is like my story. I love to live in the business. It's like the impact side and the community side. So it, for us, it's very just it's networking and it's meeting people. And so when we started, I mean, Bogo Brush is an acronym. It stands for Buy One Give One. Because at the very beginning, we were a one for one company. Um, we knew we didn't want to stay one for one because um, that was like right at the time that you know questions were kind of coming out about Tom's shoes and like is this sustainable and all these kinds of things. But also, it was a recognizable model. We're like, okay, because at that time, I mean, remember we're in innovation in like 2012, 2013. They're really you know, there weren't a lot of more mainstream things that were giving back in the sense that consumers, it was still, it was still an educational piece that we had to work with to help people know that we were a give back brand. So we went for one for one. So at that point, it was finding oral care um, organizations that really matched up to our values. So we literally interviewed them. We told them who we are, what we were doing. Um, for us, storytelling is a big part of who we are. It's not something we've um, been able to invest a lot in to date, uh, somewhat. But moving forward, I mean, right now we're actually in the midst of a fundraising round, and storytelling is a big piece. So you'll be seeing a lot more from us about our impact. But yeah, interviewing, like, who are you? What do you care about? What do you believe about about care? You know, for us, it's quality. It's um, impact, it's happiness, it's honesty. So what are these values? And then the vision was that this would expand and that's what's happened into the point where as we partner with uh, buyers, um, whether it's a community who on our direct to consumer channel is like, oh, they're just loving <laughs> what we're doing. I mean, for instance, like Fargo, North Dakota, it's, that's not where we grew up, but it's like, the hub of our home state, they've given us so much love. So we've looked around like, what does sustainability mean in Fargo, North Dakota? And so what we've done now is, you know, we've sponsored, I think we've sponsored like up like six acres of prairie grass restoration. So that's something here, They're, the prairies are being destroyed by agriculture and by like suburban sprawl. So let's help bring the prairies back. Or another example is this is a big project I'm working on now is we sell toothbrushes to um, like a luxury resort in the Maldives called the Hard Rock Hotel. And they're very committed to sustainability. So part of that partnership is I go there and I say, all right, what is sustainability here? Not just at the hotel, but 
for the real community, the locals, and start digging in and asking questions. And there's a few, few things we're working on there, but the big one right now is on food and is supporting food sovereignty. So that's not us going in and making a donation. That's us talking to people and committing energy to help empower them to like build their networks. Uh, that's like a really fascinating, a fascinating thing. They, uh, most of their food is not grown in their local islands. And so, yeah, so it's like a network thing. Uh, it's where are we, where are our sales coming from and what does sustainability look like there? And I'll say one more is that we just started partnering with an organization that provides support for native American, uh, dental students, um, to help them, yeah, become oral care professionals in a variety of ways and helping them uh, face the barriers that they have. So that's like another one. It's not just, so what you guys are doing isn't just throwing money at a problem. You're like giving these communities the tools to actually grow. Even especially with like the Native American, um, non, is, is it an, it's a nonprofit or a scholarship program? Well, it's a nonprofit and they have a few different really interesting programs. Like one of them is a scholarship program, which um, they have a few, you know, it's like one of the barriers is like being able to pay for the admissions. Yeah. Test. You know, it's like simple things or the study. This, yeah, the study materials, you know, it's like $2,000. But the thing, this is a good organization. We got connected to it because I was chatting about things and, you know, really wanting to connect more with just all different cultures, right? Just what's going on in, in sustainability and oral health. We're an or oral care company. Um, and actually our dad connected us to someone at this organization um, because our dad was on the board of trustees at the American Dental Association. So his network has been kind of cool too, kind of cool to see. But they are very much into like long-term. They're less, they have big companies that are like, okay, here's a boatload of money to like help send people to school, which is great. But what we're working on with them is how can we um, help people like kind of maybe they come along another impact uh, project with us or just what are their what are their barriers? And like so many of us, a lot of times like the barriers are really like emotional and um, feeling like hopeless about something. I'm not saying that specifically these people, but just how can we build a relationship where it's like they can learn from what we're doing, but then at the same time, we learn from what they're doing. So it's really an exchange of energy rather than, uh, oh, here's something that, you know, here's some, here's some money, good luck. Sometimes that's what's needed, but really to make a more sustainable planet, we just need to be listening to each other more. So no matter what we do, if we can build those relationships, then we can start seeing what are, what are the underlying problems that maybe a toothbrush company can start supporting somehow or another? Relationships are everything. I mean, and really like the most important, not even just in the business standpoint. I mean, obviously that's important because it's coming from an altruistic perspective is always, you know, going to be good. But even like, I don't know if it's just the holiday season, but like I've noticed in like the past mm -hmm. couple of weeks, like it's just such an enriching thing. Um, I don't know, investing in solid relationships and not in like a transactional way either. 
because it's rarely ever a fully one-sided thing. I know there's a lot of like cliches and like, um, I guess sayings that kind of surround it, but it, when you have that kind of connection and again for it goes back to the uh organizations that you work with and how you work with them it's like you kind of set yourself up for success and there's there you can't it, as we i guess the the world progresses and is more connected like via the internet and just all these different ways everyone kind of sees how the sausage is made so to speak and kind of everything mm-hmm. i feel like it's just way easier to just be like okay like person to person whether it's really organization to organization, it's like, you know, you know, it's just the person working. There's no, uh, I, 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 I don't want to get too far away from my point, but like I, a big, big <laughs> proponent of, I'm a, I like relationships as like the thing um, that I think gets kind of trivialized sometimes. You know, like just from kind of things we've talked about and, thinking about even relationships and how that's helped in the startup world and building, building the brand is, I mean, absolutely on the impact. That's what the whole goal is. Like we want to have a business that includes these values right in the price of the product and that right. It goes into the economy and you're paying uh, $8 or if you're getting the stand, you're paying $10 for a beautiful toothbrush and stand. And, that's like a real value that's including all these things that like your standard oral B is like not going to factor into. So the impact relationships are so important. That's like the reason for it all in many ways, but yeah, the relationships too is like on things, even of uh, like building a team or asking, asking for help or, getting investors, all of that. I think I hear the advice and I remember hearing like, oh, it's all about the relationships. And overall, we've done a pretty good job. But also, I think one of the things that I keep learning is really, 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 I feel so cliche in a way to say it, but it's just know, like for me, like Heather, know yourself, like know your business, like who is Bogo Brush? Like I'm not Bogo Brush, right? Bogo Brush is its own in a way, personality, its own thing. But as the leader, as CEO, visionary, like this is my my job. So like ground in and know what I believe it needs and align with people who feel good. Like don't force it. Don't make it into something transactional um, because the relationships are really, those are what for me have gotten us through the really, really hard times. And there are that's what's going to get us through the next really, really hard time. Those times where, you know, I know for myself, right, I call a partner and it's like, sometimes there's tears and it's very vulnerable. And it's like, how do we get through this thing? And um, having someone for me, at least, I know that's important for me. Having people I can go to and be truthful and honest has helped the business grow and succeed to the point it has. And the same thing for sharing successes. I just think the relationships I don't know I feel like unicorn culture and startup startup world doesn't they talk about relationships but maybe they're just aligned towards something different you know maybe they're just aligned towards super fast growth and and uh, financial return alone I don't I don't know for sure but yeah I, I feel like it is always easy to kind of spot 
those companies though. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to fake a real cause behind a organization. Like you can kind of see, and again, it even comes from like talking like uh, in, I mean, not necessarily in this capacity because this is a podcast and it's, you know, we're mm-hmm. all, but like, um, I guess for like business meetings or any kind of partnerships, like you can kind of rein through like, what things are you focusing on? Like, how do you start meetings? Like it's, you know, there's like little nuances to it that it, everyone likes to think that business is, isn't personal and it's, it's the separate thing, but like, you can't really fully separate that. I mean, you're still living your life. You don't stop living your life and no one does. So I, I think that reigns through. <laughs> what has the growth been like since you first started in, I guess, technically 2015? Yeah. 2015 is when we really launched our product, our subscription service you know, really came, it was like the fall of 2015 when we felt dialed in with a supply chain that could help us test the market and all these things. Um, I mean, the growth has been, it's been, I mean, amazing. I mean, this year we've grown, like our revenue has increased like 10x from January to October. And by 2022, we expect to grow by at least like 300 to 400%. Um, so no, more than that, 40 X. I like, I'm like, wait a second, I'm miscalculating. I'm like, I already said X. I don't want to say X again, but whatever. <laughs> Number seems a little bit light. <laughs> anyway. 40, damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, so growth is uh, definitely coming. And for us, it's come by embracing uh, B2B you know, and by doing that, it really, for us, it was a journey of following traction, um, but also funding, you know, a manufacturing company is not a cheap company to start, you have to lay out at the, I mean, at the very beginning, you need at a minimum, probably $100,000, which maybe for some folks, that's like not a big deal. But you know, for my brother and me, we had to literally sell everything, <laughs> uh, like all of our savings and all that. So we really get some sort of supply chain um, up and running and loans and like other organizations that believed in something so small. But um, yeah, so it started out like growth. Okay, we have a website, we're testing B2C. And then also we have traction on on retail side, like boutique shops, especially. So in 2018, well, 2017, we fundraised an angel round. 2018, we closed it. We were oversubscribed. So right, we had, we raised more money than we were asking for. Um, and with that, well, we increased our, we like made more upgrades to our supply chain, uh, which allowed us to decrease our cost of goods by over 65%. And that meant that we were able to actually start going into places. Like we'd pitched to Target. We pitched to Whole Foods. We were pitching to big places, but the supply chain wasn't anywhere near a place that could support that. You know, our packaging was cool, but we couldn't, we weren't shelf ready packaging. So um, we have that traction. And then we have like a lot of good like online traction as well. So we invested in both like digital marketing and we invested in hiring a broker and we just followed that. Like our broker now, she's. Now we brought her in full time. She's a chief of sales and operations. Um, we launched in CVS 
during the pandemic, we're in like 2000 CVS stores and like the B2B is just really where it took off. You can still go online and subscribe, like absolutely. But I know like a lot of like direct to consumer companies, um, that's not really a profitable channel to run. And so for us, it's being able to have multiple sales channels so people can find us however they feel is the most convenient, but also we uh, can only make impact if we grow and turn profit. So follow that yeah. and see what we learn. That makes sense. And I, you guys also have a subscription side too, right? Yep. We have a subscription, just like sign up. You can subscribe. You can choose to receive it like every two, three or four months. I think just folks run through toothbrushes in the slightly different paces, but yeah, subscription works great. We're happy welcome you into the BOGO fam. So that's, that's what you like. Um, go for it. I mean, ideally people find us at CVS or, you know, the other big shops that are to come <laughs> in 2021, but, and then they're like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, let me subscribe. And then you don't have to think about it. Delivered right to your doorstep. Mm -hmm. What has been the most difficult aspects of running the sustainability part of the operation? Is it like the sourcing material, packaging, shipping logistics? What what is like the most, I guess the biggest challenge? I think for me, the biggest challenge is like deciding where to draw lines. Um, because you know, if we wanted to sell a $30 manual toothbrush, we could have like the most sustainable packaging option. We could have, um, you know, we could in, be investing in, um, you know, the best logistics, right? We could be offsetting all of our carbon. We could, you could be doing all of these things, um, things that do come with scale, but in order to get there, you have to, you have to make decisions. So, I think it's not hard to make the decision because we know like where we need to hit. We have like price thresholds that we feel pretty comfortable with by now and like where we need to be. But it's hard because you know consumers have expectations and before I learned a lot more about what sustainability really means, I was there too and it's hard to be able to explain nuance to people who are demanding something that more perfect than can exist today or you know they're seeing something they're seeing like a solution a packaging solution that a company that's literally like 500 times our size is able to do it's like oh we just literally <laughs> we can't afford that kind of packaging yet but here's why we've chosen it you know i'll talk about like our packaging is a plastic tube and the tube is recyclable, or you can use it as a reusable travel tube. Like we have a whole matrix that we go through when, like, when designing this, and we needed it to be something shelf ready. I mentioned that earlier. Like before, our packaging was just a cardboard box. It was so awesome. It looked great, but in the mail, it was getting crushed, and that meant like our natural toothbrushes. Some of them were even like snapping if you put too much force on. I mean, oh god. So it's like the packaging wasn't working for that you can't couldn't see through it like whole foods and target were all saying it's cool packaging but customers need to see it okay so how do we make it visible like a see-through thing we didn't want to use the blister pack because that's really unsustainable you can't really recycle the cardboard because it's just shards of cardboard at the end and anyway so it's like a very complex decision and 
So right now we use this, it allows us to scale. Um, you can recycle it, you can reuse it. It functions really well on the shelf. It stands by itself. You don't need to invest in like other um, merchandising things um, unless you know that's part of a marketing plan. So it's just an example. Like where we are going is using um, you know, fully like plant-based packaging, getting the brand to a point where the brand is recognizable and you can do different things um, with your recognition than just the product itself. So I don't know, does that kind of like provide any context for what I mean? No, that, it's just tough to know where to draw the line. No, it does. Yeah. And it, it's, it goes back to that. I feel like this is kind of something we vaguely like been in and out of, but it's like a baby steps, I guess, method of progress that's going to like actually be sustainable and like make a difference and it's like you can't just snap your fingers and be like this is we this is how we're going to do it because doing things sustainably does end up costing more money it's like a trend i've noticed and i think it's not that big of a secret you know it just does and i'll say too that because of these choices that we're making i mean by they've allowed us to scale to this point and that means like this year we've prevented nobody like half a million the equivalent of like half a million plastic bottles from entering the waste stream because we use like more sustainable materials or we've prevented 60 tons of carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere because we're shipping in the United States, which is more expensive than shipping, you know, than producing overseas. So it's like, it all, it all comes together. It's like, what metrics are we using? And then we just really have to hold to those and know, all right, like, let's tell our story to the consumers, which we're going to be doing more and more of, like I mentioned, but that's the hardest part about sustainability is sustainability is so much more nuanced and to actually be sustainable, not just 100%. greenwashed. It's, it's not what consumers always think sounds as. It's romanticized. You know, sustainability, yeah. sexy. And yeah. to even go even further on your credit, it's not, you're not just doing environmental sustainability. At that point, you're doing social sustainability too, especially with the, all uh, the involvement in different nonprofit organizations that you're doing. And a lot of those organizations in and of themselves end up being peripherally related to environmentally. St- nothing happens in isolation, basically, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's like always clear, be like, oh, like, you, this one aspect of what you're doing is sustainable. Like that's good and cool. I'm, I'm talking about for like a, a, some other company, yeah. but like, um, when you actually take a look back and be like, okay, like there's a couple things you're trying to do here. All right. This, this is a vision. It's not just greenwashing. Like what you're saying. Um, that makes sense. Awesome. Uh, what have been some of the biggest mistakes you've made? in your career or with Bogo Brush? The first thing that pops into my mind is not asking for help sooner. Um, that's a big one. <laughs> like, and it relates to burnout. Um, what year was it? The end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, right? We'd closed this funding round and I guess one of the mistakes that I will say looking back is that we didn't, didn't raise money to pay ourselves at that point. Um, and I think that would have been a good choice, even like a small stipend. I mean, now we're at a point where we can, uh, but 
yeah, they're, it's just hard to bootstrap for so long, like on the psyche. And I think that for me personally, you know, my brother had his own relationship with this. Um, so just really me personally, it's like, I stayed in that bootstrap mindset of like, oh, I need to accomplish this. I need to prove X before I can ask for Y. And I think probably lots of us can relate to that in all sorts of different, different ways. Um, but for me, it was, I call it staying in bootstraps, like doing the things that didn't light me up, feeling like I needed to like master, like getting the supply chain and doing like these things ready before I could step into my light, step into the things that would bring the brand more value. And it's true to a point, but that's just, I see that point. And really ultimately I burned out. I was just like running in circles, like chasing some sort of imaginary finish line. And that just doesn't exist. And um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a tough moment. I mean, I did ask for help, you know, I hired a coach and I um, started identifying what are the things like, like being honest with myself and not just myself, but with the world, you know, being honest with investors, being honest with customers, being honest with everything and, and starting to follow that. And really once I did that, <laughs> it, everything started opening up it. So I think it's like my mistake was thinking I needed to do it myself for too long. And I say myself, like, uh, it's like a bit dramatic because obviously like, my brother was there and we had a team of people who were supporting the supply chain, but just not identifying, not, not bringing in the experts um, sooner, but we've, we're bringing them in. We've brought them in and, and we're growing. And I just, I know there'll be another, <laughs> there'll be another phase where I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> I didn't like find the expert soon enough, but that's, that's one. Are you, are you still, um... I'm I'm assuming not, but are you still kind of in always looking at that horizon? Have you kind of, I guess, um, mm. been more gentle with yourself in terms of like enjoying like, all right, like we did it. Like we can like relax for a second. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, I, in my, in the world that's in my head, so I'm very much a, a visionary, a big, big, big futurist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I see a world that, you know, Bogobrush is just one small part in creating, but also amongst all sorts of different projects and different things that I'm bringing to life, whether now or in five years. So it's staying present is something that is a constant practice for me. And it's this interesting balance. And I bet other, you know, entrepreneurs feel this way creatives you know it's like you have a vision and like striking that balance between moving towards it and being grateful and being present is a, is an interesting one but um yeah and i mean i like i practice yoga i've been a yoga teacher for 16 years uh well yoga teacher for 10 but i've been practicing yoga for 16 years and uh studying uh maybe you or maybe others know like Ayurveda, like the kind of sister science uh, to yoga. I've been like studying all of that for a very long time. So that has a huge influence on who I am and even just like the spirituality of what sustainability is, the spirituality of running a business. And 
by incorporating those things into my, not letting them live separately, but by being my whole self has like my whole self in running a company that has definitely helped me um, feel, feel happier, but there's definitely part of me. And I, I feel it a lot where I'm like still leaning a little bit too far forward. So uh, always got to, Always got to keep the back body nice and strong. <laughs> yeah, keep your your feet on the ground. It's okay to have the head in the clouds, but gotta like like the the groundedness. And honestly, like ah, it always comes back to for me personally the relationship piece of it. Also, mm-hmm. hang on, I think a clock is about to ring really loudly near my computer. So if I mute myself, <laughs> stop. Just that is what is going on. But um, I, yeah, even especially the way you mentioned about um, asking for help, getting help um, when you yes. do need it in any capacity, like it could be a, a lot. Oh, hang on. Is this it? No, we got time. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I know my bad choice of recording location for me. Bad, bad. It's okay. I think my mom was playing piano a little while ago, so maybe you heard that. But that's that's <laughs> nice. I I want a little piano background. I'm okay with that. That's <laughs> that's welcomed. Um, but yeah, I I mean it it I feel like everything we we discussed really does mesh in well, especially with the you know the blurred lines of business where you don't stop living your life, and you kind of do need these reality checks, whether you can get them in you know, I guess, um, comfort yourself on your own. And for you, uh, it seems like yoga is a lot of that. And, um, I mean, for me, it's music. It's, uh, there's always, you need mm-hmm. though, like, I guess, I guess that's totally, I mean, music's a huge part of my life too. I've been a musician. I was actually a classically trained vocalist. Oh yeah. Um, so music, huge, huge part. I like bought a ukulele two years ago. Yes. I play play piano too, but I was like, I need something portable to like take around because I used to travel a lot for BOGO and impact work and going around and I need something that just I can ground in and I agree. And I also totally agree with relationships. There's for me an introspective piece that's very important to be understanding who I am mentally, physically, Um, but also it's like I have a coach and she kind of crosses this line. She's like a She's like a business embodiment. And she also combines like some spirituality, which works really well for me. It's like, how do we do that? But someone to bounce, bounce things off of and a team it's like to that point of like being grounded is like, yes. And that's where I am is continuing to build a team. So this year we brought in more team and that's part of what we're fundraising for is more team members because then it's like, yeah, I can be in a very visionary space or, um, but then have people who are on the team to like help build the foundation underneath that. So the ideas are always grounded and I can always talk to those folks who can ask the questions to help bring something somewhere, use their skills, their talents, their expertise. So totally it's, it's um, who, who am I? What am I good at? And what are the things I need to get better at? Honestly, <laughs> you know, there's always that and asking for help and, being vulnerable and asking for feedback. That's been one of my big lessons. I mean, all along, I don't know if you feel this way, but like lessons are just cyclical and yeah. spiral. You know, they repeat themselves in different contexts, but is being vulnerable. And when I'm not quite sure about what's happening, I've learned to just like 
get vulnerable with the people close to me and ask for their feedback. And all the time, that's where the next step is. And it, it takes great strength to do that. Like it, it's super admirable to say like, I don't know this or I need help or even just being vulnerable and having like expressing, um, I don't know, discomfort, just anything like that. Mm -hmm. Being sitting in a problem or sitting in discomfort is never going to be good for you or feel good or get you anywhere. I, so, I mean, all that stuff is super commendable. Yeah. Be di- I, I'm like, be uncomfortable long enough to be able to explain the discomfort to someone who can help. Like, that's kind of I like that. the thing. And I, I tend to, like, live in my own misery a little bit longer, you know? It's like a kind of, like, shadowy places sometimes, which isn't the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I'm an optimist and, like, moving forward. But sometimes <laughs> it's like, oh, man, it's so interesting to evaluate my shadow. Like, why, why yeah. am I thinking this? I don't know, whatever. And it's learning. Yes. But it's like you're you're learning about you. So it's fascinating. But a lot of times it's like, oh, the next step is just can't again, what you said, like baby steps, even with our own development as leaders or as individuals, it's like it's incremental. So it's like, oh, I have to remind myself, Heather, you don't need to like uncover the Grand Canyon of your failure, (laughs) like right now. You can you can just recognize a little bit of a step and communicate that with someone and then you move, you move forward. Yeah. And again, the moving forward piece is always, always an important, important piece. (laughs) Um, What advice would you give someone that wanted to start a business? Um, Why, (laughs) you know, just know why you want to do it. Like, the what is so much less important than why. And like your why can be anything. You know, my why is because I believe the world will be better when we connect as people and we connect more to the planet. And uh, that's, you know, that's my why. That's my ultimate, like, why it keeps me going. But just know your why. And Beyond that, I guess it's like this. I probably answer this question differently every time, right? Like, what's the conversation been? But know your why and just like, hmm, let's talk about it. Don't be afraid of, or you can be afraid, but don't worry about someone like stealing something from you. Don't worry about, you know, sounding dumb, just all these things and like this self talk that happens. Just, just talk and just be you and go out there and like find your community and ask questions. Like just know your why and then just talk about it. Like giving it air and giving it space is what's going to make it thrive. I feel like I, I really like that. It makes sense too, because I mean, if you care about something, you're going to try. Um, I, I mean, to go with that too, if you are talking about something that you're passionate about or care about, and anyone's really giving it back to you, then they're kind of they're kind of a jerk anyway. So don't let that be your benchmark for I don't know, like giving up or continuing. I don't think that. Um, I mean, I, if anything, that should just be like a testament of why you should double down and what you care about. Unless it's something awful, don't don't do anything. Yeah, I mean, there's a line. Be a good person. Yeah, let's be good people. Yeah, <laughs> but. 
I think too, in like starting a business, like this is something we could talk a lot about, but it's like, there's such a scarcity mindset in general. And I do think part of that is from being in like a very, you know, imbalanced, like a patriarchal system, mm-hmm. like it's unbalanced for all of us, men, women, you know, all genders. It's so it's like, I don't say that as a like, oh, I hate men. It's just that it's created this like very competitive, whatever has created it. It's a very competitive, like scarcity mindset. Like there's not enough, like you need to be afraid of each other. You need to be afraid that there's not enough money. You need to be afraid that there's not enough customers. There's not, there's not enough out there. You've got to be afraid. And like everything that even like quantum physics tells us is that that's just bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's enough, like your mission is meant to to like flow and meant to find the people it's meant to find and uh, being being in scarcity and thinking there's not enough is just it's like a tool of control I don't necessarily say it's like to the singular fault of anyone but it's just the overall culture that has been created and the more we can break that down the more good we can push out faster yeah and honestly it's not like in that idea of I guess um I guess to boil it down and be like, there's too much. Don't enter a space because you think that there it is like, uh, I guess overflowing with activity that th- there really is no reason to even get started. Like how, even if that is true, how would that, that hurt? I mean, worst case scenario, you don't gain traction, but it'd be, you know, hard pressed to say that you don't add anything. Um, so I think that kind of goes with it. And if you have your why, then what the what you start with that's why i say is less important than your why because if you're going into the market with a why and you start like if we I mean, we started with a, a bamboo toothbrush i mean we stayed in oral care but it's like we discovered that that wasn't the right what <laughs> you know for us to accomplish our why we needed to change our what and so we did. And that that change might be something much bigger for other people. You know, we, we might totally switch to a new product or you might switch to a service or who knows. But that's where it's like, understand why you're trying to do it so that when you do enter the space, you're you're learning. You're learning something to move you into progress towards your why, even if it means change. Yeah, it looks like we have time for one more question. Time has, okay. has escaped us, but um what is the best part about running Bogo Rush? Hmm. <laughs> Immediately two things, which is not the answer. The best part for me is like meeting people. Like just hands down, it's the best part and meeting people who are aligned. And that could be, you know, like really awesome artist I met who lives in the Maldives and, you know, we're collaborating on a project there and learning why does he care about his community or it's like meeting you and understanding like having this conversation podcast interviews are great but i'm always like wanting to ask you questions where i'm like oh no wait i'm getting interviewed you know what i mean like i never know how many questions you can always fire back i'm i'm (laughs) there would be a breath of fresh air i mean again for next time (laughs) i should have asked more questions well should have like a very pressurized word yeah i'm so curious about people so meeting people and making those connections because that for me just leads to more inspiration mm-hmm. um and on that same line like the other really like awesome part is that i get to work with my brother and 
um, he and I work so well together and we trust each other and he's brilliant and super talented and it's just really fun to be able to like, go to work and hang out with hang out with John yeah so and it sounds it sounds like you guys get along too so it's like yeah. not just working with family it's like working with a friend yeah exactly <laughs> that's awesome um well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. And for anyone who wants to find out more about BOGO Brush um, or stay connected, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, I mean, you can find me on well, Instagram. I'm hello at this is Heather. Um, no, that's my email address. Hello at this is Heather.me. <laughs> that's one of my email addresses. But hello, this is Heather. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. Um, or if you really want to search me out, find Bogo Brush. You know, go to Instagram for Bogo Brush or go to bogobrush.com and they'll they'll direct you to me. Awesome. Well, Heather, thanks a ton and thanks again for coming on the podcast. Awesome. This was fun. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.